On this week's episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Ryan McTaggart, a mindset and health coach. Ryan's helped hundreds of high-achieving individuals rediscover their inner peace in all facets of life. Right, let's get into it. I'm really interested to find out about your mental health journey, Ryan, and you know what you do now, because I know you do a lot of work in this in this area, and it's a very important aspect to your, your kind of daily life, isn't it? Yeah, massively. Um, my life uh, for many years um, was absolutely driven by being someone who I thought other people needed me to be, to be accepted. <clears throat> um, my school journey was horrible, uh, to, to put it politely. Um, excessive bullying. I was always trying to fit in with a small group of friends here or a small group of friends there. And that became my identity, being the chameleon who would go between um, and, and try and show up as the person who fitted in. Um, and that really played out for the best part of 30 years. <clears throat> and the the problems that that, that led to, um, at one point when I was made uh, redundant, um, and then I was like, I had house repossessed and car repossessed and um, all that sort of stuff from construction back in 2009. That was where I had the depths of um, what I now know to be depression. Um, it was just where I felt like that there was no way out. Um, mm. I felt like I had no options. I felt that life had dealt me a bad hand and there was just nothing that I could do about it. So um, that was really where things hit, like that, that almost rock bottom. Um, and that went in for like three years almost, um, between 2008 2011. Um, that played out and alcohol became more of my coping mechanism and how I would handle just getting through the evening because the days were always about wearing that mask. Um, the evening was about taking off the mask and realising that I was still this person who was struggling um, and had to handle it somewhere. And that was me numbing um, from that reality that I had to come home and face each night. So um, it all wound up with me um, spending a night um, in a, a jail cell because I was arrested for diving under the influence of alcohol um, and dangerous driving. Um, however, the most, like, the, the scariest part about it all, Chris, was that I woke up and had no idea why I was there. No idea. So um, I had blacked out. I was at a party, I'd blacked out, um, I'd driven to the party for some reason, mm-hmm. um, and I'd blacked out, and this was September 2011, um, and when I woke up, the officer had phoned my mum, who I was living with at the time, because I'd moved back to my parents, mm-hmm. um, and when he phoned her, he said, we don't arrest this kind of boy, like he shouldn't be here, yeah. um, and that was the moment that my life changed, because... I had allowed it to go on and when I look at it now, I can look back and see that I was like severely depressed and um, yeah. I was struggling to handle it. And it took that moment there, that was like like the dark night of the soul, like it just happened for so long and I had to do something about it because yeah. I wasn't going to allow that to be the way it would go. So um, that is my mental health journey and then the journey back from it, as you know, um, is something which is an ongoing journey. Where you're always looking to process things and um yeah so i hope that's catchy that really resonates with me i have to say i mean you've used words like um your darkest moment and wearing a mask and depression i mean absolutely 
from my point of view, I used to put a suit on and become this different person, which you touched on before. You, you know, became the person you think you thought you should be, or what, what you want, wanted people to think you should be. Yeah, and actually, come home and be kind of like a completely different person. Um, and it is like it is exactly like wearing wearing a mask, and that only lasts for so long, doesn't it? And I think um, I think that. Um, yeah, it's interesting to, to establish when mental health first came into my life. And, you know, you've probably done the same kind of exercise. You say it was sort of three years ago, but off, more often than not, or it lasted three years back then, more often than not, it's root causes from a childhood thing. It, it can, you know, it's, 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 that's, that's what mental health is. You know, it's not solving the immediate problem. It's, it's an ongoing battle. But I'm, re- I'm really proud of the fact that you're, you're able and comfortable to be open to talk about that because I do feel that the work that you're doing that I'm involved with and, other people are really helping to turn the tide for men uh, and women, but you know, the high, high suicide rate for men is at, yeah. our age, is at our age, as you well know. Yeah. Um, but what, what, what's, what kind of work are you doing then at the moment to kind of help? Yeah. So um, I've worked with coaches um, and therapists over the, like I said, the last five years. Um, however, certainly the last three years is where I've had most of my um kind of personal progress um, over the last three years um, I've certainly deepened spiritual practices um, so working with my coaches and, and therapists um, work with a psychotherapist and um, she kind of really encouraged me to take up meditation practices and um, and listening yeah. to my body Yeah. so um, a lot of that was about just tuning in to feeling my body because when you experience trauma, when you you live from solely the mind, um, and the mind runs everything, you detach from your body, and you almost feel like it's, it's separate. Um, so I had to reconnect with my body, and um, listen to what it was telling me, um, and try and feel my way through um, that process. Um, and that was the beginning of a spiritual journey for me, um, which has really deepened over the last three years. So um, in that sense. Um, working with uh, my therapist um, has been like almost like relieving me of the um, the onus that I have to carry all that stuff. Yeah. Um, and then working with coaches has given me tools um, that I can apply on a day to day basis, which allows me to navigate these things when they arise. Because um, I was talking to someone earlier in the week, um, and we were saying that trauma is something like you said, it's so deep-seated. It comes from that need to emotionally and physically survive as a child. Mm. Um, and there's things that happen that impact how your brain development and all that sort of stuff starts to um, yeah. function. Um, but it never leaves you, Chris. Like, when you've had an experience which is traumatic in nature, um, it hardwires into your brain. You end up with a solid neural network, which is so easy to access again. Um, and there will just become times in your life where this crops up yeah. and comes nowhere. So um, it's a process, um, it's a continued process, and coaching and therapy is certainly, certainly well. I mean, again, you, you hit the nail on the head from my point of view as well. We shouldn't have to hit rock bottom to have a dawn of realisation, but more often than not, that is the only thing that, 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 that takes us into a different way of thinking and changes the action of what we need to do. But I think lived experience like that is so important. So, I mean, our mental health first aider, you know, there's people out there that've got loads of qualifications. 
But for me, the best qualification you can have is that lived experience because you you can resonate, you can empathize with with other people within in that situation. Um, but you're right in terms of therapy. Now, I've had a lot of therapy in my time, yeah. and, I'm, and I've still I've still got a, a coach who is kind of quite therapeutic and quite counselling, quite that way, uh, which I find really. In fact, I've got two coaches actually, and quite a lot of work is still being done on me. I think I'm probably 67% of the way through cleansing some of my trauma out of me. And what I'm trying to say yeah. by that probably quite badly is that I'm 44 now and I've had trauma for 42 years on and off. So it's not going to just all of a sudden happen or clear in, in three or four yeah. sessions. So yeah. if, as an example, like this week, actually, um, for, somehow she took me back into, into remembering three areas or three episodes of trauma in my life and I remember them vividly and she did this NLP technique on me and now and it's that particular trauma has gone and it's all linked to worthiness and self-esteem and even though I'm a coach and I, and I coach this poor people I tell people how to motivate themselves and lift them up and all who coaches the coach who leads the leader we all need it and I just think it's such a fascinating thing and I think the way that I've won and I can see that you're winning your business is is by doing what you're doing work-wise, but being open and vulnerable and say, hey, I've, I've got the same stuff going on in a different way as you as well. What do you think? Yeah, um, I think you, when you started off just a couple of moments ago, um, what you said was like so accurate um, that we can only coach from a place of authentically being ourselves. Like you can end up with a list, the length of your arm of qualifications and courses you will never impact someone's life from a place that you've not authentically been yourself. So um, I think from that angle, Chris, we have to understand that the the true nature of human experience um, is that you will only take from someone else when you feel that they have done what you're looking to do. Now, what I say, what I mean by that is that we will only navigate towards or be drawn towards people that we want to be like or who we see ourselves in. And when when that's the fact, mm. and what we're looking for in someone is to see that they have achieved something that we want to set out to achieve. And so working with a coach, and like you say so accurately, when we can be open and say, like, listen, we are not the finished article, and there is no such thing as the finished article, no. let's be honest. And it's a journey, this is life. Um, and when you have that ability to take that authenticity um, and someone links to that authenticity because they love that same story, then that makes that bond that you can then become. And again, we never fix people. No one's broken. Absolutely. Like, you're absolutely whole in your human nature. Um, it is purely about making someone find that wholeness. Um, it's taking them to the place in their mind where they can realise that they are whole um, and that has to come from authenticity. You have to be the person who has lived that for someone else to find certainty. Totally agree with that. You know, the coaches out there or experts or mentors that say, you know, offer a solution straight away. It's never a one size fits all solution. It's never a fix. Um, and everyone's different, but you're right. Yeah. The, the, the best coaches and the best kind of therapy and the best advice and the best kind of mentorship is, is that empathy, is that listening? Because the, the answers and 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 the execution of transformation is already within the person. It's what 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 I find the best way to do it is is to is to lead them and guide them there. But they've got to do it, and they, and that's the only way. They but more often than not, they don't want a solution. They want an ear. They want you to. They want to feel heard, and 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 then it flourishes from there. So I, I think that's um, 
you know, a, a really good way of 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 articulating why um, I think you're going to do very, and you are doing very well. But also, um, I think auth- authenticity is a word that's been used a lot over the last couple of years. But I, I go back to it as as probably one of the most important things alongside empathy and understanding around building that trust and that relationship. And I'm really pleased. It's almost like gratitude, empathy, compassion, fulfillment, um, uh, vulnerability is the new currency. Whereas up until recently, it was kind of drive, man up, work hard. I, th- I, I, yeah, personally, yeah. I personally feel the landscape's changing. What do you think? Yeah, um, I think it had to at some point. Um, I'm a massive proponent of the pendulum swing, um, Chris, and I think that at some point, when you pull the pendulum 90 degrees to the left, it has to fall right through to the right yeah. um, before it finds some sort of balance in the centre. Um, and I think that we've lived in a world which has been driven probably since the mid-90s, um, early 90s, and grind. Um, you've got to hustle, um, work hard, work, 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 work. Yeah. Um, we are now, we're starting to see that movement to the other side, which had to happen at some point. Um, and I think that you couldn't have defined it any better and that we are starting to see that shift to where um, authenticity, uh, trust, integrity, um, being there and showing up as who you are um, and being honest um, as the, the new currency. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I kind of uh, went from, as you may know, um, X, we're both X, S3, which I didn't know till today. So we're both X computer futures. Yeah. So we, you know, we both started out in similar sort of, areas and kind of you know that's a very dynamic hardcore environment which i loved and i did very well there then i built up business and got that to millions and millions and millions and that was all wonderful lost it all went through all the trauma which i've told other people about had some suicide attempts yeah. loads, loads of stuff and i kind of went from you know that sort of uh commercial entity focused person profit profit money to almost so far the other way like just talking about my struggles my trauma and you know all that kind of stuff and I actually forgot about the reward and I think it's there's a real balance there's a real art around um doing what we do as coaches and mental health um people helping others but also making sure that you know we are following our own north star so having that purpose but also focusing on making making it a commercial enterprise as well what's your views around trying to get that balance right because I I I, I when you do it's bloody amazing yeah, yeah. Um, I think from our backgrounds, Chris, um, sometimes you can um, move too far to the one side where you do forget about the reward um, and how, uh, as a as a commercial organisation, as a business, and um, you have to fund that business and and the the need for an organisation to make profit is driven by that North Star because when you make money then you have the ability to influence and impact more people um, and I think for me um, particularly that, that spiritual nature of the last number of years um, there is this this um, belief that you do everything um, from that place of uh, just giving um, and giving of yourself and yeah. um, donating everything that you possibly can um, outwards, um, there has to be that balance of like it's not wrong um, to work with people and financially gain. Um, mm-hmm. There has to be some sort of exchange of value there. Um, and I think that coming from a background that we have where you understand the commercial aspect of it and then developing the understanding of how 
we work as people, um, and that that feeds into organisations, life, everything that you could understand. Um, but I think we have to get that balance right. And for me, it has been something that I have developed, um, and now I'm at a very sweet spot in my business where I have that nice balance. But it has taken some time. I think they call it the term "paying it forward," and I think I think I think I love that whole servant leadership and you know helping others and giving. But I I, th- I think that I think that. Um, there's an authenticity about what you do and hopefully about what I do around when I, when I put content out or when I do stuff, I'm not necessarily looking for something in exchange, but I think if you, if you go in into that with the right intention, you, you get it back anyway. If, if you see, whereas if, if you're going in with, you know, if I do this, I can make X amount of money. And when I make X amount of money, I'm going to be happy. It never works like that. And, I, and I, I've, it's a really exciting phase of my life around, going into it with the right purpose, the right values, the right intention, giving, but also, you know, yeah, I have a bit of ruthless edge about me as well. And I'm really enjoying that, that blend of the two. And I think, I think being ruthless, being too ruthless is, isn't, isn't the right way. And being too, you know, kind of, shall we say serving isn't the right way either. I don't think, but I think, you know, as I said before, I think it's, it's a bit of an art and, um, you know, you've got to enjoy the journey along the way, but it's one of those as well that things are going quite well at the moment for me, which is great. But this is the time when I'm going to push the accelerator, but also the time when I could be the most vulnerable and it's the most dangerous time. So what I advise my clients and prospective clients is when, even when things are going well, you still have to do your rituals. You still have to check in with your people and do your stuff. And if anything, that's the time when you need to probably get in more help just to make sure you're not being complacent. It's not ju- it, it shouldn't just be when you're on that slippery slope. What do you, what do you think to that? Yeah, um, I think uh, it takes me to a quote, um, I've heard a quote that if you don't have time to meditate for an hour in the morning, you should probably meditate too. Yeah. Um, so, uh, when you get really busy, um, that is the most important time where you have to look after yourself. Um, when things start to ramp up um, and the demands are higher, um, then you should be uh, looking after yourself and looking out for yourself doubly. Um, I think that the only way that you're going to get that consistent progression that you're looking for from those boosts um, is when you understand that you're the most important part of that cog in the machine that's going to take you forward so um, I think yeah we 100% have to look after ourselves um, more so when like you say things are starting to more. I think that's right I think you may have seen my series last month on when I interviewed 12 inspirational women I really enjoyed that that whole process this month and moving forward is is going to be um, a bit more focused on on men and the reason why I'm doing that is also run a clubhouse room um, call it mental wealth around kind of the the difficulty men have with the, the archetypal indoctrination of we have to go out and win the money and you know have the job and put food on the table and provide and you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but I, th- I think, you know, suicide rates are high at this age for a reason. And I think that um, uh, the pressure that some men are under around having having to conform and do that is 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 still quite high. I do think there's there's a balance there, but I think particularly with COVID, I think um, I spoke to a lot of men that have really struggled. You know, losing their job or the redundancy or furlough or having to be at home. That transition, it's very difficult um what are your thoughts around some of the reasons why you think men get depression and get um you know uh, mental health problems I, I think it tends to be that that kind of umbrella oh you know if i'm not providing then i'm not worthy what do you think yeah 
Um, that's a massive part of it. And I think, um, again, I was having a conversation earlier this week about um, how generational respect is something where um, we are taught to respect titles and people in different places um, as generational like respect. So um, I think anything that's passed down through generations eventually becomes diluted because um, even the people who are passing the message on don't understand what they're passing on to the next generation. Um, and I think yeah. that stems here from um, when you are the man of the house, um, as has been in our parents' generation and certainly generations before that, then the onus is on you to fully provide. Um, and when we live in times now where, again, I fully believe that this is always the way it should have been, where um, we are humans, that there's not male, female, but just mm. we are humans and we all have the ability to contribute um, and do with our lives what we will to complete and fulfil our potential. In a world now where that is more the case, certainly not where it should be, but it is becoming more the case, um, I think sometimes that can then feed negatively into the generational pass down of the us as men and male um, counterparts. We should be the ones to contribute and, and put um, security in our family's lives. Um, and that also generationally has been passed down that boys, big boys don't cry, like you can't yeah. show your emotions, it's a sign of weakness. Um, like we've been told this, um, Chris, we've all been, we've all heard that. Um, you've got to stand up for yourself, you've got to be the man of the house, you've got to protect your family, you've got to, uh, all these you've got to, you should, you must, um, all of these expectations on ourselves which when you understand that in your head there's voices talking negatively, there's like, there's a lot of stuff going on internally, but you still have to put this mask of masculinity, um, mm. and it all fits quite nice, masculine masculinity, um, on the outside to say that I'm robust, no one can break me down. Yes. Um, and I think that's the wrong message to send into um, young boys. I totally agree. It's like, yeah, you know, because we're male, we have to be masculine. We have to man up, and I think that's a load of bollocks. If, if I if I can yeah. say that, and actually, um, human beings have masculine and feminine energy, and I, and I, you know, and I and I think um, I think it's okay for women to show masculine energy in the right way, and men to show feminine energy Absolutely. in the right way. You know, and it's it's, yeah. it's again saying that saying that three or four years ago, I probably would have been shot. It just I just think there's there's a there's a big sea change, but. I think there's a there's a huge um, strength in in when I say feminine energy, it's things like listening, things like understanding and empathy. That's not that's not that's not weakness. That's that's a strength, and uh, I'm all for I'm all for it. Yeah, showing your emotions, um, being being willing to be vulnerable. Like that, there's a lot of parts of um, feminine energy that that us as men um, have always had within us, but never shown and brought to the surface. Um, and equally the the female um, part of the masculinity um, that that's always been within us like we are human by nature and um, by design um, and I think that has to be something that we are willing and, and welcoming um, yeah. to bring out because only then will you get the complete version of who you are yeah you you very briefly touched on your your trauma and your mental health I mean if you're comfortable I'd quite like to delve a bit deeper on that absolutely when it, when it first started describe uh, your darkest moment and what you did uh, to kind of get through that and just to put a bit, bit more colour on that if that's okay, Ryan. Yeah, of course, no problem. Um, so I was born in a place called Lark Hall, 
Um, and I don't know if you're aware of it, but um, certainly it's a it's a heavily Protestant area. Um, and my dad is Catholic. Um, he moved into the area. Um, and in Scotland, football is um, very much uh, the colour of whatever side you're on. So um, my dad came into Liverpool, which is um, uh, certainly very Protestant as a Catholic and Celtic supporter, where Rangers is everything. Um, to put some context on this small village um, or town, the paving curbs were red, white and blue for Rangers. I don't know if you know much of Rangers. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Um, the railings were red, white and blue. Um, the green lights on the main street got smashed. Um, like, there was no green allowed. It had to be red, white and blue. Um, and I was born in this town um, as someone who wanted to follow my dad. Everyone idolises dad, right? So, um, from the offset, um, we were probably very different um, to everyone that was around us. And at that point, immediately, my dad wanted to make me the same. So I remember him buying me this Simply the Best Rangers jumper, um, which must have broke his heart because he was a big Celtic fan. Um, but he bought me it um, and I wouldn't wear it. I was like, I don't want to be different to you. I want to be the same. Um, and that immediately, 99.9% of everyone there, I think I was the only Celtic supporter in my primary school. Um, and that led to bullying from day one, which is it's part of Scottish culture. Like it is just so deeply ingrained in Scottish culture. Um, as well as that, into the bargain, um, we spoke, my mum and dad always encouraged us to speak properly um, and, and politely, uh, to have manners and respect. Um, and again, that wasn't kind of deeply ingrained in the, mm. the council state that we grew up in. Mm. Um, so again, that was something else that further separated us. And I remember being on a playground at seven years old and I remember there was like, I can see it so clearly, there was like this square in the inside of a building which had two kind of external butts at either side. And I remember being in the centre of this circle of young boys and girls um, and this boy um, beating down on me, like just, like I can't, I can't remember why it happened, but I remember feeling like that was the point where I understood how vulnerable I was as a person Mm-hmm. Um, and had no way to respond to it. My parents were very much of the opinion that you don't hit people back, you tell the teacher. So right. if you have problems with other kids, you go to the teacher and you tell them because they will handle it for you. Yeah. And there birthed the next 10, 12 years of my school life. Um, I always went to the teacher, regardless of how much I grew up and became more physically capable um, I always took the problem to someone else to try and get it dealt with. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that was such a traumatic experience because I went back to school every single day and the knowledge that I was not in a position to handle what was going to come and I had no way to, to kind of um, dictate what was going to happen to me on that day. Mm-hmm. I remember traveling on the school bus when we went to high school um, and on the bus um, I would sit at the front and people would hit me on the way by. People would throw stuff at me. Um, there was always this like real abuse, which got more physical as I got older. Um, and that was the birth of my trauma experience. Um, and I just got to 15, started weightlifting, 
um, started martial arts um, and decided that I wasn't going to be the victim of my environment anymore, that I had some sort of agency over what would happen to me. Um, and at that point, I had completed standard grades as they were back in the day. And I had conditional acceptances to university. Um, and at that point, what happened was I decided, screw it. I'm done with being walked all over and got into many fights. Um, I ended up with a criminal record at the end of that year. Um, as I turned 16, I ended up being charged for assault and breach of the peace. Um, it just the pendulum swung, Chris. Yeah. But that that abuse, that um, physical verbal abuse, was the birth of trauma experience in my life. Wow. I guess you kind of followed what your parents told you to do with telling the teacher, but you kind of reached a point where you just thought oh, you just can't handle it anymore. And uh, I mean, the, that abuse, that trauma started obviously at the age of six or seven. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I know what it's like to be bullied um, at a young age, but probably not to that extent, actually. But the, the fear that you must have been on under, you know, day in, day out around... I mean, telling the teacher tends to exacerbate the bullies even more, doesn't it? They'll, they'll just probably come down even harder on you. So it wasn't really a solution, but, you know. Um, so beyond that, then, what happens in your next phase of your life? Because that, that's already an enormous amount of, of stuff you've had to take on some very young shoulders. What else happened after that? Yeah. So um, after that, my the, again, this is why I'm such a massive believer in the pendulum swing. So I went way too far to the other side, Chris. Yeah. Um, I found a good circle of friends, good. Um, and what happened was we got into all the wrong problems and all the wrong issues. Um, Mom and dad used to say, if you fly with the crows, you get shot with the crows. Um, and that is what began to happen in my life. Um, I went on to taking drugs and like drinking too much and hanging out with the wrong crowds and like all of the wrong stuff that I've never been in up until this point of 17. Um, girls and like just parties for weekends and days and yeah. um, and I just became this alter ego of the person who I used to be um, and that was how I handled like the... I had a chip on my shoulder. The best way to describe it is I had a chip on my shoulder. I felt like I had been a victim for so long. Now I wasn't going to be. Um, I was picking fights with people in pubs and clubs for no apparent reason. Um, I was very aggressive when I was drinking alcohol. Um, there, there was just that next period was such a stark contrast to everything that had gone before. Yeah. Um, again, you, you know, you kind of feel like you're protecting yourself and you kind of had to put on this on this persona um so you became this kind of quite aggressive person i guess, I guess. um talk to me yeah. about kind of relationships then in terms of how this might affect your relationships with you know the drink and the aggression and the kind of this kind of masculine kind of persona yeah so um my relationships all suffered um i remember my so my younger brother was nine years younger than me um and he idolize me um because like he's that that young um impressionable age yeah he idolized me but couldn't see why i was now behaving in the manner that i was um and he is has been for many years now um, anti-alcohol doesn't want anything to do with it um because of the way that perhaps i was behaving at that stage in my life so and um, i adore my younger brother yeah. um and that was a difficult thing for me 
to accept and 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 like come to terms with. Um, as well as that, my sisters were almost fearful for my um, safety when I was going out to clubs and pubs and stuff like that because as someone who's very aggressive with alcohol and in a, um, a culture and society where people get stabbed and like my mate got stabbed and like they were very fearful so it changed my relationship with them. My parents started to um, like resent the fact that I would go out on a Thursday night and come back on a Monday morning yeah. and I wasn't turning up to work um, and so family relationships totally changed yeah right they totally changed and friend relationships I developed some really strong friend relationships with the guys that I had spent a lot of time with it was the first time in my life that I had those kind of strong real strong connections and guys who would do anything to help me um, and I felt like I belonged so yeah. um, in that sense one side of my life was falling to bits relationship wise but the other side was starting to develop strong relationships and connections with guys who, again, would do anything for me. So um, it was quite the paradox. Wow. So talk to me about then this this episode where you kind of realised you had depression and the mental health kicked in and kind of that, that dark moment. That, I mean, that's that's the critical phase where, you know, it was probably your your most challenging moment in, in your life, I would have thought. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, the dark night of the soul began when um, my house was repossessed, my car was repossessed. Um, I had to move back in with my parents um, and I had no money um, and a lot of debt. So and when I was bankrupted, it was called sequestration. So I had £27,000 to pay back of, I think it was like 84 or something, um, made these agreements. And so I had this money to pay back and I had no work. So um, at that point, you start to look at your life and think you have no options. Like Because in your life, a lot of the time, you can think money is your options. Like If you have money, you can have options. If you don't, you can't. Mm-hmm. Um, so therein began this, I need to get some form of work. I need to get back into work because I feel like I have no value right now. Um, and that was like... I was looking for validation from work. I was looking for validation from people around me. Um, and I felt like I had no value myself. Like, I felt my self-worth was in the toilet. Like, I had nothing to give, nothing to offer. Um, construction was on its backside. Um, and that was all I knew. So, at that point, I'm thinking to myself, if all I know is construction, no one is recruiting in construction, mm. what can I do? Is life even worth what it is, what's the point? Yeah. Um, and then that period, um, I got into door-to-door sales, which was a very, like, again, commission-only. Um, the environment is you work hard, you party hard. So, like, yeah. you worked long hours, seven, eight hours, knocking doors around about Scotland, um, rain, hail, or shine. And beer was the first thing that you had after you finished. So you went to the pub. And you would have one or two beers. And it was in Glasgow, so I would drive home after one or two beers. Now, now I understand the brain and how we're training the brain into different patterns. I understand, looking back, that the conscious decision to have an alcohol and then drive was linking into my brain that subconsciously it was okay to have a beer and drive. Mm. So, um, And when that becomes a pattern that you do six or seven days a week, then it becomes part of 
how your brain functions and operates on a purely unconscious level. Yeah. So I made that a habit. Um, and then one night, post-Saturday shift, we went to a party. I drove. It was in Paisley. Um, I remember turning up there with vodka and whatever else beverages that they'd taken. And we um, had a party. I blacked out at some point. can't remember what time it would have been. And woke up in Govan in a police cell. Um, no idea why I was there. Wow. And that was the scariest moment of my entire life. Because I could have been there. I could have stabbed someone because my history of aggression. Like, yeah. Something could have really gone wrong. And I had no idea. Wow. So, wow. I mean, I've, I've, I've woken up in a police cell once or twice because of similar kind of stuff. But to not know why, that must be... Wow. Yeah. So um, the most, like, thinking back now, even now, I can feel part of that emotion that was there because just the 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 fear the doubt the panic the like just awaiting your fate like you don't know what it is you don't know what you're awaiting you have no understanding of the reason for being um and that was the absolute depths of that dark night of the soul i had i had driven on for so long it become such a subconscious pattern um and something had to change from that day forward um, and as I, I think I said to you earlier, the police officer phoned my mum and said, we don't arrest this kind of boy. No. Didn't be here. Very powerful story. So the next phase then, I'm really interested. So what happened and how did you arrive at doing, obviously explain what you do now for the, for the viewers, but how did you arrive from going through that situation to then becoming a mental health um, person now? Yeah. So um, I initially thought that the way to solve um, everything was to fix an external world, an external life, my external body. Um, So I went on this, like I didn't drink alcohol for years. Um, I started to really look after my body. Um, I started to like uh, personal train. So in 2013, I did my qualifications to a personal trainer. Um, and I started to coach individuals on how they could get um, their diet in the right shape and their body in the right shape and just look and feel better. Um, what I realised by 2014 was that everything I'd done for the previous three years hadn't fixed this. No. I still had, I was still overreacting to life. There was still a lot of problems and difficulties and challenges that I just wasn't handling. Um, and that was where I realised that I had to reach out and get some help. There had to be help for me. Yeah. Um, I had to hold my hand up and say, everything I've done hasn't really worked. Um, can somebody give me a hand here? So um, that began my mental journey myself. And what I noticed between like 2016 and 2019 was this natural progression where, whether it's a grey hair or not, I have no idea. <laughs> um, but I attracted this like executive level, financial directors, HR directors. Like My clientele became entrepreneurs and people who are really switched on and and when that happened we were sitting having conversations about this not this yes and that was a very natural movement to become more of a mental health advocate somebody who understood that it was the brain that dictated everything that happened in your life and how you process things is then going to determine where you reach um, and whatever endeavors that you're you're undertaking at the moment so um, we started to deal with people's past 
um, experiences and how they were turning up in their daily life um, and starting to influence that by taking different actions and thinking different yeah. thoughts and changing patterns that were hardwired in their brains. Fantastic. And so how long have you been doing that and what's what, what's the kind of um, plan for the business as well? Yeah, so um, I've now been doing that since late 16, um, so late 2016 and definitely predominantly that since 2018. So um, around about October 2018, it was like the only thing that I was doing was mental health and mindset coaching, helping people get over traumas, helping people deal with challenges in their life mentally so that things could show up differently physically in their external environment. So um, that was uh, the the kind of the change. And again, it was such a natural evolution. It just merged perfectly from training people physically um, to now mentally. Um, and where I'm at in the business at the moment is working with people now, fortunately, due to COVID um, worldwide, because before it was Central Scotland only. Um, but now working with people worldwide, um, the goal is, uh, again, I've been studying medicine this year, so um, another um, aspect of my massive vision. Um, I think that medicine has to move forward. I think yeah. that chronic, chronic illness um, is driven by chronic behaviours, chronic habits, chronic thoughts. Um, chronic exposure um, and I think that something that you do every day has some sort of effect on accumulation in your body um, and I think that western medicine as it is uh, which is what I'm studying is an absolute miracle for acute illness and, and problems like the virus and um, because it really has a solution for them okay. but I think when it comes to chronic illness mm-hmm. it can really fail people like there's not a real solution I think a lot of the times what happens is that uh, we end up treating symptoms yeah. um, instead of root cause. Um, and I think the root cause has to be addressed. So um, the major vision, uh, if you said what's what's the future, uh, my major vision uh, would be to become a doctor if I see the studies through and manage to qualify and graduate, um, to become a doctor because I want to become part of an integrative medicine movement. I want to be part of medicine becoming different. I want to be part of um, a positive movement in chronic illness and helping people get over it. I think that's amazing. I think you touched on some great points there around medicine is great, but it, I think no matter how great it is, it can only take you so far and it does go back to that mindset, that root cause. You know, um, you can be in the best physical shape of your life, but if mentally you're not doing all the right things or you haven't addressed those past issues, there's two schools of thought, isn't there? You know, some people say going back over old ground and, reopening old wounds it doesn't serve you it only makes you worse all that kind of stuff i'm of the camp of this thought process where let's get it out let's go back and do it uh it may be more difficult initially but once you come through that you know you start to then really really start to love yourself so i mean i I can feel your passion um and i can feel your purpose as well i mean this this is the purpose-led leadership podcast and i feel that i think the reason why you're being successful is because you have found your purpose before we kind of close, how important do you feel it is to find your North Star and your purpose in your life, your business, and what tips would you have? There's three questions. So that's the first question. What tips would you have uh, to support people in helping them find their purpose? And what are your top three tips for managing mental health? Yeah. So I may come back to one of those questions when I get started here, so um, bear with me. Uh, so uh, firstly, you finding your North Star is 100% the most important work that you'll ever have in your whole entire life because 
if you come to that North Star, if you find that purpose, that passion, that drive and determination to achieve that North Star, then nothing will stand in your way. Like adversity will become something that you look at as opportunity. Um, and I think finding that purpose has to be everyone's number one focus um, in life. Um, you have to to go through your life, grow through your life and, and realise that things are happening for a reason, that life happens for you, not to you. Um, and when you birth that idea, then you find what that North Star potentially is for you. Totally agree with that. Um, and then what are your kind of, what's your advice around, you know, that tricky journey of, of not just finding your purpose, but overcoming your mental health challenges? Because we've all got mental health, haven't we? So yeah. Um, what would you say to, to someone who may be going through some of that now or, or even to future-proof themselves as well? Yeah. So um, as far as it comes to um, finding um, your North Star or finding your purpose, um, that journey is one that is very unique for every single one of us. Um, I think you have to be open-minded. You have to be growth-minded. Um, so you have to, um, if that's not who you are originally, like it wasn't for me and potentially um, for yourself, um, if you're not that open-minded, um, then we have to find some way of working through um, those fixed mindsets that you have and um, those challenges that you have, the blocks, um, which is what I spend most of my uh, working life doing, yeah. um, getting people past those blocks and challenges from past experience um, where they think it's impossible. Um, you have to be willing to open up and expand your awareness um, and try different things. Um, you have to be willing to um, move a little bit left field or you, you just have to be willing to do a little bit different um, to find out where your path is um, and you're going to come through challenges you're going to come through adversity we all have mental health um, it's again hopefully over the next couple of generations um, it's not going to be a quick transition but hopefully it becomes the one thing that we look at in the same level and wavelength as physical health because yeah. physical health has been the mainstay for many many millennia now we have to think of mental health in exactly the same vein um, we have to understand that you are either in good health mentally or in ill health mentally and how you find that good health from that place where it's maybe not where it should be. Um, as far as tips um, and future-proofing yourself, like I'm a massive advocate of working with someone because um, we can negotiate all day long in our own minds. Mm. Um, usually uh, the demons in our own minds, the default mode network, uh, will only look for the negatives um, and that's where we tend to ruminate um, mm. and we need some sort of external vent and um, we need to be able to have conversations with people who understand um, and we need to have those ongoing discussions as we move through. So if you're looking to future-proof your mental health, if you're looking to handle mental health at the moment, um, the one place where I would say that you're probably not going to handle it is in here. Um, it has to be something that you're willing to um, engage with a coach, a therapist, someone who gives you a safe space. It has to be psychologically safe. You have to feel not judged. Um, you have to feel that you are able to open up and be fully who you are. If you can do that, then there is 100% weight at the end of the tunnel for you. Absolutely fascinating and inspiring, Ryan. We've only just kind of become kind of peers or connections in the last couple of weeks. But I mean, and to agree to do this at short notice, I mean, I could talk to you for a couple of hours, a uh, minute. Yeah, very um, easily. I really, really appreciate your time. Absolutely fascinating stuff and uh, uh, really inspired by you, actually. 
So where where can the the, the audience find you? Um, so again, um, I have transitioned all of my work onto LinkedIn. Um, LinkedIn is a place where I'm spending most of my hours these days. Yeah, and, um, it's it's the number one place where you'll find me. So um, Ryan McTaggart, the mindset medic, um, on LinkedIn is the number what number one place to to find me. Ryan, absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on, and looking forward to Thank doing collaboration with you in the future as well. One hundred percent, my friend. Thank you. The Purpose-Led Leadership Podcast is sponsored by Vincherry. Vincherry are all-in-one CRM and ATS platform, purpose-built for recruitment and staffing agencies. I chose to partner with Vincherry because, honestly, I'm a customer. They keep me competitive, plug into my calendar and email, and make the whole admin part of my job as a recruiter a hell of a lot easier. The Purpose-Led Leadership Podcast listeners get 25% off Vincherry's onboarding. So if you're looking for a recruitment CRM to accelerate your growth, check them out at vincherry.io forward slash chrisoconnell.com.